Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Sarah LaFleur, founder and CEO of fashion brand M.M. LaFleur, which is best known for women's workwear. With working from home, in sweatpants no less, becoming the norm, I wanted to ask Sarah how her business has been affected and what changes she's made to set it up for future success. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much, Jill. It's so nice to see you. And I guess I need to I need to just point this out. You're wearing the cutest pink. Uh, is that like it's like a hoodie? It is a hoodie. I've got some matching so pants. <laughs> the new workwear, I guess. It's adorable. I love it. Thank you so much. Are you wearing? Are you representing wearing I, the brand? Of course, I am actually. But uh, you know, it's funny because there was a time when you know we first started our company when. I legitimately wouldn't wear our clothes on the weekends, although Monday through Friday, you know, going to the office, um, I, I did. Yeah. And we entered into more casual clothing, I want to say in 2017. And now I can say, I'm not just saying this for PR reasons. I, I can uh, actually promise you that even on the weekends now I wear MM. And so this is um, this is a sweater called the Butler Top, which is one of our most comfortable ones. And uh I own so it in, in three colors. I love it. Yeah. Yes. And it does look work to weekend. Talk oh, to me about the evolution. Yes. Did you say 2017 is about when you start introducing the more casual wear? Yeah. You know, it's, um, it actually, it came, uh, came from our San Francisco customers initially. Cause we had gone, we were kind of always strictly in the, what, you know, it seems so outdated to now say this, but like business casual zone, a lot of dresses, you know, slacks and, and tops. And then we entered into business formal. So that's where we uh, introduced suiting. And I think that was in 2016. And then we had a bunch of customers actually in San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco was our, our third biggest market. And they would come to us saying, hey, love your clothes, but like, I need something slightly more dressed down. And it's not like I can wear hoodies and, and jeans to work because that's what all the engineering bros are wearing. And, you know, that's not my style, but if I dress up too much, it looks like I'm interviewing. So like, can you help me strike the right tone? And so Miyako and I flew out to San Francisco. We interviewed a bunch of women who worked in the tech space. And um, Miyako said, you know, she was like, I can do something stylish for you. It doesn't have to be like this. And uh, we came out with that collection, which we called, you know, it was, uh, we, we defined the category as power casual. Um, and we launched that in 2017. And, you know, it was it was probably like a, I would say 15 or 20% of our business um, going into 2020. Um, but COVID hit and, you know, boom, it's like now over 50%. Um, so uh, I, I'm, it, I'm grateful that we had that to kind of lean into, especially during this turbulent time. Also, because so many of us are working from home. Um, and then T-shirts. We introduced T-shirts actually in April. And we had planned to do that, you know, regardless of COVID. But that also could not have come at a better time. So I think luck has really worked in our favor. Yes. Is it 50%? Um, is that about where you want to stick? Moving forward, you're, you're going to be about 50% more casual wear. And is workwear even in the marketing? Yeah. it's um, Well, I think actually this power casual category is going to become workwear for the majority of yeah. women. And, and so we have taken down our buys for suiting significantly. I mean, we had already done that for last summer, last fall. Um, but you know, it's interesting. Like, I think what, what we're seeing, um, like we just, we just, we're just launching this collection called Mentally I'm Here. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of people can probably relate to that feeling, which is like, okay, it's like a year into COVID. 
it's still not over. We're very much still at home, but mentally, gosh, don't we, don't you wish you were somewhere else? So this collection was actually, if you can believe it, shot in Hawaii. Um, not nice. a single, yeah, not a single one of our employees were able to, uh, was able to travel for this, but um, we happened to have a photographer who was there, local team, local model, and we shot this collection. I mean, on a beach. It was. It's the most gorgeous photo shoot I've ever seen. Um, but it's interesting because so much of what we featured there is like a, a much more dressed down look. Um, but we have these beautiful jackets that we made with this uh, manufacturer in Japan. It's called, it's a um, it's a company called Yonitomi and uh, you know, they've been around for decades and they just make the most beautiful woven jackets. It kind of looks like a, a boucle jacket from Chanel, but it very much has nice. our twist on it, has a ton of stretch. Um, it's so comfortable. So you can really imagine yourself wearing it, you know, for an entire day and not feeling stiff in it. And we're introducing that and pairing that back with leggings or, um, like silk t-shirts, um, Supima cotton casual tops. Um, and I think so a lot of what we're proposing is, Hey, like, there's a lot of casual wear that you can incorporate now into your quote unquote work day. Um, but Every now and then it's nice to pair it with something as beautiful as this Yonitomi jacket, just to give yourself like a tiny boost. Um, you know, yes. I mean, you're wearing this beautiful pink top and I just think like <laughs> it's eye candy, you know, and like right now when there's so few things to enjoy in life, like isn't that part of it? It's like putting right on, on, yeah, the, the bubblegum, you know, pink top. <laughs> so I mean... Yay for color, for sure. Are you doing more color? Are yeah. people looking for sparking, sparking joy? Things that spark joy is what we, I keep hearing. It's so true, I, which is so, I mean, I'm half Japanese. And so I like this like idea of like minimalism, sparking joy is also kind of like incongruent. And I think therein that lies the the kind of power of, of KonMari. But um, color for sure. I mean, right now I happen to be wearing a black and white boucle um knit but uh this collection lots of uh greens pinks oranges um and and we've actually brought in like some earthy tones which we'll be introducing in uh in march um but it's like it's like deep red deep green you know just nice. um yeah vibrant uh vi like just like a lot more vibrant i think compared to when we first started when we had yes. you know primarily charcoal navy black etc Yes. Is there anything that you're phasing out for good permanently? I was looking at your last call section and I was wondering, is that going to be all their dresses? <laughs> it's so true. Dresses is just a much smaller part of our business than it was like three years ago, three years ago. I mean, when we started, just to take a st step back, we started with seven dresses and dresses was the majority of our business. We didn't even have pants until 2016. And um, I think now it's probably less than 20% of our business. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there will always be a place for dresses, especially around occasions, summer. Gosh, everyone loves a good summer dress. Sure. Um, right. There's there's something about dresses just being so easy. But I think maybe there that's the operative word. Easy dresses. I think there will always be a place for and things that are more formal, tight fitting, pencil, et cetera. I, I just don't think that's really going to be a big part of our, our future merchandise. Yes. You mentioned uh, your start. What was the business model at the beginning? Oh, gosh. Um, there was a year of us operating a model what, that we called a dressing room, which was 
similar to, gosh, I mean, there's no comparison right now. Like e-com has gone through so, <laughs> so many phases, but this was when you could pick four dresses that you could try for free for a week and then keep what you like and return what you like. Um, yep. very long story short, that was a total inventory disaster. It was, um, <laughs> you know, we would have press hits every now and then, and then all of our dresses would be, um, out of stock. And then basically two weeks later, we would get like 50 to 75% of the dresses back in stock by which point presses died off. You know, it was just, it was so impossible to manage. Um, and then eventually we, uh, I should say somewhat kind of, um, I guess this is a lot of like being pushed into a corner without any options and then landing on this model, which was called Bento, uh, which was an iteration on it. But essentially what would happen was customers would come to our site, fill out a brief survey based on that. It was our stylists who would put together a box for you and send that, that box out to the customer. Um, and that business actually took off, uh, like wildfire. I, I think we launched it in, I want to say late 2014 and, you know, our business, gosh, quadruple maybe in the first year and then Amazing. doubled the next year. I mean, it was just kind of insane growth that we were seeing um, around that business. And I think around 2017, 2018, um, I think two things happened. One is that, you know, I, although we never considered it a subscription model, you always had to um, order an additional box. And we we always kept the e-commerce channel open. And so customers can migrate into that channel. Um, and, and that is what we saw a lot of customers doing. We just saw that subscription model kind of die down and also go out of favor. And I think, frankly, we always felt like we were a little bit handicapped by it because our products were never cheap. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't, I, I, again, I have to qualify cheap. Like our dresses um, run the gamut anywhere from 125 all the way up to 365. So um, not luxury brand quality, but definitely maybe, you know, it's not um, fast fashion. And exactly. I think that's where um, the subscription messaging, which is so much tied to, okay, this is kind of uh, maybe uh, less expensive kind of um cheaper items that you want to regularly access. And our items were not, you know, we, we work with some of the best mills in Italy, Germany, Japan, um, and we take so much care in our production. And so there was, I think, like a branding incongruity there that we were always struggling with. And ultimately, we moved away from that model in 2019 um, and really focused on just operating our stores and operating our e-com channel and, um, that business had been doing really, really well, uh, of course, until COVID hit. Um, so, you know, struggling there for sure. You talked about that great growth. I recall seeing being in the subway on the way to work, seeing your your ads in the subway. Yeah. Um, what was working? What, what was working for marketing? What drove that growth? I mean, so much of it, truthfully, was um, Facebook. I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, like a lot of. Um, I'm sure a lot of guests that you've had on this have spoken about this as well, but there was definitely this arbitrage opportunity that was, that existed, I want to say between the years of 2014 and I think by 2017, most of the major players had entered into Facebook in a big way. So any arbitrage that was there definitely died out. Um, but this is, I think, true of any marketing, right? You're kind of always as a small brand, um, 
you have so few competitive advantages over those big brands. And so the only thing you can do is kind of move to the next advertising channel where they're, where, where it's not crowded, where there is opportunity. I think we even saw that with direct mail uh, two years ago, right? Suddenly all the big brands were pulling out of direct mail. Direct mail became um, cheaper in the sense that people weren't getting a lot of mail uh, anymore. So you could suddenly capture a customer's attention so much longer. And, um, and so I think we were always looking. We were lo- always looking at the next uh, marketing channel. But I think that was a particular moment in our history where um, digital advertising was suddenly able to get so specific in who they marketed to, and the big players hadn't moved into that advertising space. Yes. Now, what was that? Did that necessitate a lot of fundraising? Um, what's been your approach to fundraising, and what was it early on? No. Oh, um, we haven't really talked about fundraising a ton, even though we yeah. have raised VC funding. I think part of that is because I, I never wanted us to be known as a brand with, you know, X million raised. It was, I, I don't think it's as true today, but I think even five years ago, there was definitely this like excitement or badge of honor around like, oh my gosh, can you believe like, X company raises X million at Y valuation. And in my head, I was just like, oh, you just like gave up part of your company. So like, I'm not quite sure why this is cause for celebration. Um, Of course, the growth that would come with it is exciting, but that in and of itself is not the excitement. Like all the growth that hopefully you can achieve on the back of that, like that, that's the excitement. And so I was just like, this is, this to me, like, is not the press I want to be getting. And so we've been really, I think, purposefully on on the down low with any fundraising that we've done. But I'm I'm very like happy to to share that we have raised money. Um, I've talked about just kind of like the difficulty of raising money for um, a woman's clothing brand as a female entrepreneur. I think it, it, it. I think the market has gotten, if not easier, just significantly more aware of the challenges, but. Gosh, like trying to wait, raise money in 2013, I mean, it's like it would be probably like less painful to pick up a chopstick and stab it into my eyeball, you know, like it was just kind of it was uh, it was torture. Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, we're su- super lucky. I think like the investors that we have brought on board um partly because they didn't want to touch us, you know, initially with the 10 foot pole and the funding only came on later in our growth curve. Um, we got to be a little bit more selective with who we wanted to bring on board and who we wanted around the table. And uh, I really genuinely like my investors, which I know is a, is a luxury that not, you know, all entrepreneurs have. So, yes, that's great. Let's talk about that growth. Well, first of all, what you're, the reliance on on Facebook or the use of Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, is that still in swing? And what else are you doing? Um, it's not, uh, we still use it. Like I think as a channel, it, it definitely still has its place. It's just, we're much more conservative about it. And again, like that arbitrage is totally gone. So it really only functions as a touch point in the whole marketing uh, gamut. Um, I think now our spend is maybe, you know, I think at one point it was probably the majority of our digital advertising spend. And now I want to say it's less than 20%. Um, nice. But we've leaned into so many other channels, um, including direct mail. Uh, we've done some out-of-home advertising, as you were talking about. Um, and then um, e- even just 
I mean, every brand is doing this now, but leaning more into influencers. Um, you know, this is influencers has always been a little bit of a tricky one for us because I think um, when we tried influencers in the kind of the very, very early stages of influencers, I remember seeing like there were certain influencers where it looked like it worked like magic, you know, and we got we got our like five X our money back and then some, and then with certain right. other influencers who had a huge following, it would just fall so flat. And actually I remember there was this one influencer that we worked with. She had a much bigger following than anyone we had worked with until that point. So we were like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And as soon as she posted her post with us, there was like a whole, um, site that was like dedicated to critiquing each of her posts and all of these I mean it was it was like the meanest part of the internet but they were like this is so fake like there's no way that she actually wears M.M. LaFleur like she's not like a, a, a working woman blah 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 I mean you know of course she's a working woman Lucky. she's an influencer but exactly and it was just like <laughs> wow like you know gosh the internet is so critical and sometimes also so right because I, that was a, a real lesson for me. I was like, yes, she was a total, she was like not in our sweet spot at all. I shouldn't actually say at all. She was a little bit off. She was like off by 20 degrees and yeah. it totally backfired. And so I think like one of our biggest lessons since then is like, it doesn't matter if they have a tiny following, but so if, if they're in your sweet spot, then you yeah. will, you will pick up customers from that. Tell me about, Stores. You mentioned stores. Mm. Um, I know that you started um, kind of a concept shop, MM to go. Yeah. Um, yes. Kind of versus the showroom model. What's happening in terms of stores that you have open and out there? Well, I mean, we we were talking about marketing. Um, MM to go, which is this uh, the way, best way I can put it is like it's a kiosk that like showcases our best sellers, and so usually we don't have more than I would say like our top 20 merchandise in there. And it's, um, I think the one we had in Brookfield place, which is in uh, the financial district, I think that was like less than 300 square feet, you know, tiny, tiny footprint. And then the one we had in union station in Washington, DC was about 700 square feet. But, you know, as you can see, like pretty small, um, square footage. And, these went gangbusters. Um, we, I think the one on Union Station, we like made our money back in two weeks time. I mean, it was, it was, it was so exciting because I think everyone was like, Ooh, retail's dead. Retail's dead. And like for a, a company that was very much e-com first, we were, we entered it really, you know, with a lot of trepidation and, um, and this was, I think we, I mean, the, as the real estate saying goes, location, 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 like Union Station was just basically a bunch of our customers waiting for their trains saying like, okay, this is a brand I heard about. I've been wanting to visit. And oh my gosh, here I have like 30 minutes to kill before I catch my Amtrak. Like, let me check it out. And so, yeah, we wanted to just um, open 10 more of those <laughs> in 2020, uh, which was not to be. Um, but it's uh, it's what we think of as an advertising channel that pays for itself. You know, it's probably some of the best marketing. And then also, you know, frankly, the PR that we get around a store location opening um, is that was also uh, significant, too, and meaningful. So um, as soon as as COVID lifts and people start, you know, leaving their homes, that's another channel we want to lean back into in a big way. Nice. Will you, uh, I guess, have any specifics, anything, a, a new way to approach it, new uh, lines in the contract? What will you do before, I guess, <laughs> going in again? 
Um, as in... As in like the lease. Will you do a long-term lease, a short-term oh, lease? Oh, I see. I see. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I hope like that 10-year leases are officially a thing of a past, thing of a past because... I remember when we signed our 10-year lease for our office, I was like, our company hasn't even been around for 10 years, and here we are, you know? It just seemed like we were we were just taking a deal that we had no concept of. And um, I think with stores, too, uh, landlords, you know, to their credit, I think, are becoming much more aware in these short-term leases. Um, like, I think with, with uh, MM2Go, the first one we had in Brookfield Place, we started out with a three-month uh, lease, and it was going so successfully that we decided to extend it to, I think, seven months, ultimately. Um, Union Station was also six uh, six months. Um, but I think year, year-long, two-year-long leases, like, that's actually the sweet spot for us where we can invest a little bit into the CapEx, you know, knowing that we're going to be there. Um, and then actually, uh, you know, build a base, acquire customers. And then, and then if we actually see that city turning into a bigger market, opening a much bigger footprint, um, which is something we want to do in New York city and DC, where we know we've all, you know, we have a, a good amount of brand awareness and, uh, and especially DC, um, because right now, like that's actually a city where people are out and about, um, or have to be out and about because of all the government, um, ongoings. Yes. A majority of your sales, is it like way up there in terms of what's happening online versus in store, maybe 80, 20 or. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I want to say e-com is probably right now, like 90% of our sales because we yeah. only have in terms of our, um, and the, the remaining 10%, one is what we call, um, well, one is our DC store, which is open. Um, but we have also virtual appointments, which have also taken off in a big way under COVID. And I think that one is actually here to stay. Um, yeah, so that is like shopping a little bit like shopping in one of our showrooms, you get to work with a stylist, but it's all virtual. It's all over zoom. And, you know, it's funny. I think in some ways it is actually one of the most working women friendly channels. Like these women are so busy. They don't have time. And yet we were saying like, okay, we're going to, we're going to make, um, shopping so stress-free. We only want to see you in our store four times a year. Like it's going to be an hour. You're going to, you're going to have a glass of Prosecco. It's going to be relaxing, but like, let's get this done and over with. And I think when we moved that conversation online, like now we have, you know, moms logging on after they put their kids to bed or, um, you know, working people who just now have an hour in their day where they can do something for themselves. Um, so that actually has been one of our fastest growing channels. And I think that one is very much here to stay post COVID. Yeah. Did that require a lot of new hires? Was it just this in-store peeps moving online? Yeah, exactly. In-store peeps moving online. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, you know, bless them. They're just like, naturals they can there's no awkwardness with them on zoom you know they they just have they're they're wonderful and they have um i think i think they've been pleasantly surprised by how much they're able to do online like as a stylist so much of it is being able to see the clothes on the the human body but zoom can get past a lot of that and um i think also there's something very personal about like welcoming people into your home and you get to see their life situation and they're like oh, I get it. Okay. You have a tight living space. You live in New York city. Gosh, your closet, you know, is the size of, um, like most people's, I don't know, 
drawer, right? And uh, yeah. so we need to we need to have clothes with a high impact. Or oh, I get it that you're you're a mom. You need to have clothes that are machine washable only. Like all of those stories that I think are coming through in Zoom that probably wouldn't come through if you were just in the store. So um, I think in yeah, in some ways it's it's a, a much more uh, working person friendly uh, channel, business channel. Yeah. Yeah, as the online channel became more competitive in the last year, has become more competitive. Um, anything else that was, I guess, that you had to do to improve your site or, um, yeah, ensure that it's <laughs> it can handle the new traffic or, yeah, any other updates? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we're, we're most excited about is just saying um, this is the new way to dress and we very much want to lead there. Uh, I think... For so long, women have been uh, told, you know, okay, this is what professional workwear looks like. And honestly, there there was, it was a huge riff off of men's suiting, right? That 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 was what women's workwear looked like. And I think we have this opportunity to rewrite the rules and say, like, okay, like women are juggling so much. Um, but they want to feel good about themselves. And clothing, at the end of the day, like it brings joy. Of course, there's a practical element to it, but it brings joy. And so what does that new dress code look like? And I think so much of what we're excited to do is help define what that new look is like. You know, comfort, I think, is never going away. I think that's like going to be at the base of, of everything. I mean, it always has been at the base of everything we create, but I think that's always there. Practicality, you know, things being machine washable, wrinkle resistant, I think that's going to continue being important. And then I think this idea of like, I come home and then I get out of my work clothes and get into my like, you know, whatever it is, home clothes, if you're going to stay home or, you know, dress up clothes, if you're going to go out, I think those boundaries are going to continue to disappear. And I think we, what we're excited to do is to continue dressing that woman who's going to be going everywhere in, in one, one piece. So, um, that's what we're most excited about. Yes. Tell me about this community that you have. I know that you have a Slack community. I saw this on your Instagram. Oh yeah. It's amazing. Yes. Um, we've got, uh, 1800 of our initially it started off as very much like a VIP Slack channel and we've invited some more customers into it but now we have kind of um, our, our best of customers on Slack day in day out talking about yes often about MM clothes and especially around new collection drops but uh, they're talking about like their lives honestly and when you know this started because when COVID first happened I think there was this moment where we were like, wait a minute, like who, who am I going to talk to during the day? Like, where's my work wife? Where's my work husband? Um, and, and so we kicked out the Slack channel and the customers just kind of took off and ran it on their own. And so, you know, when, when there was, um, uh, there were some of, some of our customers got laid off, um, in the initial wave of COVID and we had other customers saying like, well, let's start a job posting site. And so they were sharing jobs with each other. Um, and yeah, and, 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 and then there was always child, there's a Slack channel called childcare tips where, where they're sharing what they're doing to take care of their kids. And so, Yes, of course, you know, we see each other, like, we see customers upselling products to each other from time to time and sometimes criticizing, of course. Um, but I think it, what's been most exciting is like it's been embraced as its own community that is way beyond the clothing we sell. That's awesome. I was reading this morning about, uh, which plays into this, I guess, community uh, that you are launching peer to peer resale. What's happening? Oh, yeah, yes. Um, 
That's a that's a lifelong, I should say lifelong, company-long dream of mine. I've always wanted to do that. Um, I think uh, resale, I think now is very hot, but I think I always saw MM's like purpose in the in the the clothing world, not just about like selling, but then also showing women how to wear it, like the styling piece of it. And then actually teaching women how to take care of their clothing. So a lot of what we've done, like we've done collaborations with the laundress. We say sell some of their products actually on our site. Like you don't need to send cashmere into dry cleaning every time. You can hand wash it at home. That's actually much better for your cashmere and that's actually much better for the environment. Um, and then I think the the final piece, you know, in, in a clothing's journey is retiring that piece. Like if you're not wearing it, like give it to someone else who will wear it and get so much joy out of it. Like, and, and so that was always, always part of, I think our ethos that we wanted to um, execute on. But truthfully, it wasn't until recently when the technology really caught up with, with, uh, I think this, this brand value that we've had that we've been able to lean into it. Um, so we, we were launching it. It's, um, it's going to be called MM second act. It's going to launch in late February and it'll be a platform for our customers to sell their, their gently worn MM on their site. And then hopefully, you know, make some money back on it. So you like, who doesn't love that? That's awesome. And so it wasn't maybe as daunting or as big of an undertaking as you would think it's more so about yeah the technology and finding the right partner. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we actually, believe it or not, um, uh, our, uh, some of our team members tried to launch this and then uh, we were just, the, the logistics of, we were like, oh my gosh, so customers are going to send it in and we're going to have to assess and then we're going to dry clean and like, you know, God forbid, uh, like what if are the, there are bed bugs? Like, you know, there was just like right. logistically, we were like, this seems like a, you know, such a, such a nightmare. But I think this peer-to-peer space that's really taken off you know, takes the burden off of us in terms of um, understanding and measuring the impact of every single um, garment, um, while also giving customers an opportunity to, like, share with each other what it is that that they they want to sell and then make money off of it. Um, and I think there is a, a level of trust in the MM community. You know, if you shop at MM, then I know we're in good company together. And so I think that level of trust is really going to add to... Um, uh, customers' willingness to resell and buy from the site. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's one thing you're launching this year. Let's talk 2021. First of all, you're 10 years in. This is your 10-year anniversary. Are you doing something like celebratory? Oh my God. <laughs> so funny, Jill. I mean, it, yeah, it is 10 years. It's actually, so we say officially that our company launched in 2013, but it is very much 10 years since Miyako and I, Miyako's our um, chief creative officer, my co-founder, started working together. Yeah. And um, I just want to get her something special. So I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I mean, it is one of the longest standing relationships that I've ever had, you know, and like talking about co-founder relationships, like this is um, like, I, we're just so lucky. We have never kind of had the kind of drama that I know plagues a lot of co-founder relationships. And she's truly my best partner outside of my husband. So I think yes. she and I are going to have to celebrate it in some meaningful way. <laughs> we we actually went to India in 2019 um, and uh, for a week just to like stimulate the senses and uh nice. it was magical. So God, I mean, I really, I, <laughs> I hope there's a trip in our future. 
I really do. I love it. Talk to me about um, where you guys met and kind of what, how you guys balance. What, what's her strength? What's your strength? Um, we met through a headhunter, which people are always shocked to learn because she's Japanese. I'm half Japanese. And like, that just happens to be a total coincidence. We, I interviewed, I mean, when I was first starting this business, I knew nothing about fashion. So I was like, I have to work with a headhunter um, who ended up being my, you know, fairy godmother. Um, <laughs> but he said, you know, I had actually already, um, I wanted to go, I had already met someone else who I was, you know, um, who I thought I would go with. And he said, you know, there's this other person I want you to meet. Like, and I was like, no, no, I'm, I, I, I've already had this, you know, I, I already have this other person in mind. I think we're, we're done here. And he was like, no, 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 just meet her. And I met her and he was totally right. We just like kind of hit it off in this way that felt very natural. And, um, and I think, uh, in some ways it's, n- I think one of the reasons why it's worked so well is because our lanes are very clear. You know, she, very illustrious fashion background, head designer at Zach Posen. Uh, nice. you know, she was with Jason Wu for a long time. Like she just, that's the world she operated in. And um, I, you know, came from the world of like spreadsheets and, um, <laughs> and, and um, numbers are still very much my happy place. Like, I, I think I'm a creative person at heart, the branding and marketing stuff like that gets me so excited. And I think maybe that's where Miyako and I come together. And I think, um, you know, it's so funny because I think Miyako brings her fashion sensibility and I'm probably much more commercial in my taste, but, uh, I like to think that that plays an important role in, in branding too. And so I think where the two kind of meet nicely that that's our, that's our MM brand. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and she always says, oh, I know nothing about numbers. I know nothing about business, but she's honestly one of the most business savvy person I've, uh, I've met. And, and I think that's why this partnership works. Um, you know, we understand each other, but like, but we're totally prepared to kind of seed control when it comes to that person's expertise. Yeah, it does sound perfect. Well, I love that numbers are your happy place. Let's talk numbers. Talk to me about 2020. Oh my God, Jill, that was like the most amazing segue. Gosh, you you must be a journalist. I'm like, I'll take that chance when I can get it. But tell me about 2020, kind of maybe compared to projections where you wound up, or just if you want to jump into 2021 and your your goals for for the year ahead. I'm sure. I mean, 2020 was a bad year for the business and I have, you know, no problems sharing that. I think, um, you know, initially our business dropped by about two thirds. It, it was yep. scary. Um, and, uh, we slowly started to see it pick up, especially I think, um, late fall. And, and we did, we did sales for the first time in, really our brand history, you know, up until that point, we had only done sales. Uh, it was only once a year, sometimes twice a year. And it was, um, to existing customers only. And then we had to, I think for the longest time, you know, and I'm, I'm very anti-sale because gosh, if you train, you know, a customer to shop sale only, like it's the end of your brand, uh, it's the case of death. So I was like, no sale, no sale, no sale. And I think there came a point where, um, uh, it, it was just clear that that's, you know, we, we would never be able to compete. Um, and I think the mentality is like survival. It's not, it's not yeah. about like beating our 2019 goals. It was just like, how do we make sure that we as a brand, um, continue to stay, uh, relevant and continue 
to um, maintain the things that matter most to us so that when the economy comes back, we're able to take advantage of it. And, um, you know, I, I give so much credit to my team. I, I have to caveat all of this with, I had a baby last year and I took three months of maternity leave and, you know, and you're like, I mean, my mom, you know, who's kind of like your, um, you know, she's, she's very much a, a professional woman. She was like, I, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't know a CEO was allowed to take uh, maternity leave. And I was like, <laughs> Well, this one is, you know, so, Heck and, yes. Um, yes, and, uh, um, you gotta love my mother, but, um, but my CEO, Eric, you know, just like was amazing and he was so wonderful about it and just really, I think took control, um, at a time that was, that was scary for, for the business. And, um, so, um, you know, he, he really sailed the ship. Right. And I think, uh, we're, we're in a good place. I think the, it's always, it's always, it's always hard. I mean, I think about, you know, even where our business was in early 2020, where, but right before COVID hit and I'm like, gosh, I miss those kinds of numbers, but, um, we're in an, I would say like a new normal now where we found stability in the, in, in the COVID times versus kind of like May, June of last year, where we were like, where's the bottom? Um, that's a really scary place to be. And, um, yeah. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're not, um, betting on kind of our industry coming back to where it was until, until I would say like Q3, Q4 of this year. And when I say Q3, I'm talking really about September, which is, which seems to be the time that a lot of people are saying like, okay, we will have had our vaccines. We will be out in the world again. Maybe we will be seeing people again you know, yes please. yes, please. Right. And so I think, you know, that's what we've projected. And I think just even some certainty around that has allowed us to better plan our business. Um, and, and I think I, I'm hoping that 2022 will be the chance that we get to execute our 2020, 2020 plan, you know, I think, yes. um, but 2020, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that's what we're betting on is 2022 is the year where we get to do 2020. But right on. in a new way, right? It's a, yes. it's like it's not going to be like there's no return to normal. It's just like the new way. So. Yes. Last question I have to ask. You mentioned a 10-year lease on your office. Are you going back to the office? <laughs> Are you stuck in that damn lease? <laughs> it's such a good question. We're actually we're trying to figure that out as we speak. We're like, I don't know. Like a lot of us I mean, our design and production teams, they have to like meet face to face. And so they do it oh, very yeah. carefully. Everyone's masked, you know, all that. But a lot of us, I think, feel like, okay, there's some work that actually can be done at home. So like, does five days in the office actually make sense? Probably not. Um, yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, I I think there's, we're, we're rethinking everything. I guess that's the way um, I would put it. And then also realizing that like sometimes when, like I, I still see Miyako and I still see um, our design team from time to time and seeing the magic that can happen when you are together, I think we're, we're just going to be much more purposeful about when we decide to come together and when we decide to work from home. Um, but that office, you know, I don't know, to be seen. <laughs> yes. Well, it sounds about right. Same here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Sarah. This is a great conversation. So Appreciate wonderful. you being here. Oh, thanks so much, Jill. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. 
please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think.